This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thanks for taking the time to join us on today. A special welcome to all of the first time listeners out there. Thank you for taking the time to chime in and spend time just taking in what we are sharing with you on this podcast. Sound stuff ain't popular. (laughs) And you can hear my guest. I got a guest. I got a guest with me again on today. We are going to have taken a break in the current series on the sinister nature of today's UX culture. I, I don't think it's good to hear that every week so we're going to break that up uh today and this time we're breaking it up by taking the time to spend um some well good 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 sizable amount of time uh here today i love these segments because i love hearing from other people i love sharing voices giving my platform over handing it over to someone else someone who should have a voice in the industry someone who deserves to be heard in the industry, there's a lot of people talking. I say this all the time. There's a lot of people talking in UX today. There's a lot of talking heads, but there's a lot of people that are talking because they can and not because they should. I want to share people who have something to say that when you walk away, you can take the things that they're saying, put them in practice. You can trust in them. People who've actually earned the right to speak. Let's put it that way today. And I've got another such person with me today. We met on social media. We hit it off. I love the stuff that she does. I love what she's talking about. I know her concepts. I know where she's coming from. I've seen her ID badge and it's legit. We got <laughs> we got enough people with fake FBI badges out there talking about UX today, but I've got one of the real ones with me today. I am honored. I am pleased. And I always let my guests introduce themselves. So, Guest, please go ahead and take it away and let the folks know who you are. Well, thank you so much, Darren. Uh, this is truly an honor to to be here and to be chatting with you on a Friday. There's nothing I would you know rather do. So this is a perfect <laughs> setting to do that. I am Manisha Balakar. I have been a UX practitioner and leader. Uh, oh, with about. Uh, two decades almost uh, in this industry. Um, I I do come from a place of privilege. I had the privilege of being more classically trained in design. I started off, I was born and raised in India and I um, graduated uh, in my undergrad in product design. Back then, this was late 90s. Uh, you know, UX was uh, not mainstream at all. Mm-hmm. I think there were yep. some facets of it. I had really started to learn about interface design at that point, and it was intriguing. Uh, back when I did my undergrad, honestly, <laughs> I think I had more fun than really like, you know, <laughs> absorbing and, uh, and, and learning as much as I could have in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so really for me, doing a master's in design at that point was the big transition into how much responsibility there is within user experience, uh, product design, and what that means for uplifting people in in their lives and their jobs. And it 
felt to me that that was something that I wanted to do for a living, uh, which was gratifying because I did have the opportunity to do that. Uh, again, uh, early 2000s, I was in Ohio as a recent grad from Ohio State University. Go Bucks, by the way. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> I know there's a little Ohio-Michigan connection, but uh, so this is my little, you know, stealing your platform to say go Bucks. <laughs> right back at you. <laughs> but anyways, so, uh, but, you know, I was a recent grad, uh, had done my inter master's in interaction design and uh, human factors engineering, nice. which is fantastic because it was interdisciplinary. Uh, I really got to understand and work with people coming from diverse backgrounds, um, uh, you know, educational backgrounds. And I then transitioned onto a, a job in automotive industry. So I got the opportunity to work with big brands like uh, General Motors, Toyota, I also did a brief uh, stint along with my grad advisor, uh, who actually is a design practitioner and a research practitioner herself, um, and had a, a design consultancy in Columbus, Ohio. So there was a lot of opportunity right off the bat to work with some Fortune 500s. But my first full-time job, if you will, uh, was uh, uh, designing uh SaaS products for dealerships for car dealerships so this is an in really interesting way of you know sort of being thrown into the world of user experience there was no uh, department or group for ux but mm -hmm. i was hot on the heels of you know having graduated like masters I uh, really got the opportunity to talk to senior leadership at that time who got behind me, which was fantastic, and said that we believe there's a lot of value that UX can provide. How about if you want to start a group? And so that's <laughs> what I did, a uh, company called Reynolds & Reynolds uh, in Dayton, Ohio. It was fantastic, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to go do that. Lots of responsibility, uh, but also a lot of, opportunity to work cross-functionally you know whether that was new product design group or engineering as well as product marketing uh you know marketing and sales so really that's how this all started for me darren wow that that is fun. i love hearing everybody's story and and, and oh, i didn't realize you're ohio state i think i knew that tomorrow i think i came across uh -huh. I, I I have uh, I've I've added some smart ass comments on on your LinkedIn. Uh, I know I don't know who it was. The oh I I think I know it was it was on one of those where someone from, was from Michigan State and then they're like yeah, oh. I I, rem I've, I vaguely remember that and for me it gets funny now because I'm a Spartan uh, mm -hmm. on one hand but I'm also a Bruin. And now they're all in the same Big Ten together, so now I'm I'm just commingling all over the place. And I speak at University of Michigan, so yeah, I get everything. Yeah, I, I, I totally know. I totally know uh, <laughs> how that feels. I I still root for the Buckeyes, though. I do now uh, feel a lot more connection with Stanford. I I uh, recently finished their business program, uh, but hey. Division one sports. Sorry, Cardinals. I'm going to go with my Buckeyes. 
<laughs> I, I always love that kind of stuff. I, I, I find that humorous. I, I love it. And, and even I won't well, even get into. I'm, I'm so connected everywhere. I won't even get into all that yeah. stuff. It, gets, it just gets complicated. But I just love that. I love hearing about your background. I forgot all about Reynolds and Reynolds. I remember hearing about them. So that's great. So I, I love just the, everybody's stories are just wonderful. Uh huh. And 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 then also I mentioned I, I did a, a set earlier with Dr. Ari, and, and one of the things that came up was. Uh, how did you get your start? They asked me, how did you get your start? I said, hey, in the early days, nobody made a decision. You're in the right place at the right time, and something comes up, and the next thing you know, you're on this journey. Yeah. That when you look back on it, all you can do is laugh because people today make a decision to to get into what we now call UX. Yeah. Um, we didn't That's make cool. that decision. It just... Yeah. So, hey, you know what? What do you think about? Hey, do you think you might be able to? Hey, do you? It <laughs> just nobody made that decision in the early days. So it's just funny how the consistency of that. Oh, absolutely. I, I you're definitely onto something there, uh, Darren. And I almost want to. And I feel, by the way, this topic could be a topic in itself. Like you yeah. know, making a conscious decision versus happy accident that just evolved over time right? like that's how i think of you know my journey in ux yeah uh, i also wonder that it really might be more of the you know the happy accidents or the journey that evolves over time because i think the uh what you said the more deliberate the decision making to me and and this is again my opinion and uh you know perspective is i wonder how much of that uh, really has been because of social media and the attention that you now have on things because now you have a platform where people are discussing all of this, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why, you know, the series I did, So, I, and people bring it up to me on a regular basis. I did the series called So, You Want to Be a UXer? And, and part of it was we fell into it and people are making the conscious decision. When yeah. we fell, today, when we fell into it, we were able to confirm and we stayed with it because we we discovered we had a passion for it. We had a love for it. We knew that we fit. A lot of times today, <laughs> people get into UX for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. They're not really ready for it. They're not a fit. Their skin is too thin. There's a lot of neuroticism at work with people coming to UX. And then when things don't go their way, Instead of where we would like toughen up and then to, okay, roll my sleeves up. Let's get into it. Or, oh, I made a mistake. I got to own it. I'm going to get better. I'm going to see this as an opportunity to get better. That's what we would do. Today, a lot of the things that we faced when we were coming up in the discipline, I see people facing the same things. And instead of making those same conscious EQ rich decisions that we made, people turn around and they begin to just buck against whatever their discovery is, or they, they refuse to take on the thicker skin. Somebody hands it to them. They don't want it. They, yeah. they, they find out they made a mistake and they, they tr try to sort of glorify the mistake. They don't, instead of owning the mistake, they pretend that the mistake wasn't made or they try to distance themselves from it and, and yeah. then attack the person who's the source to let them know that they made the mistake. It, it, it's very interesting I think, and I think that it also, it hurts the discipline at large. I, 
I've been saying this more and more and more lately. We're all connected. And every time somebody does something, it affects everybody else. It will eventually ripple. And and mm-hmm. I, I tell the story about one person. I won't mention the person's name in this instance. I often do. But in this instance, I won't. Where the person, everything was fine on Tuesday. And then they came to work the next day. And the whole team was axed. The whole UX team was axed. And why? That person didn't like UX. And and I say, freeze frame right there. Why didn't that person like UX? Yeah. The person was interacting with people in other organizations that were souring him on UX. And so nobody recognized it. Nobody recognized what this person was doing or what the potential fallout was. So they weren't able to mobilize themselves. Maybe let's take an opportunity. I mean, me, I say whenever you're whatever project you're working on and every meeting, get it all the way down to a granular level. Every meeting is an opportunity to drive UX maturity. Oh, every every meeting is an opportunity to to help people, even if we a millimeter at a time, a cognitive millimeter at a time, help people to get to reach the point where they see UX is valuable, where they understand how you operate and you're constantly building relationship. It's never just about the work, as I always say. It's never just about the work. And and so and I, I've come face to face with those people who, given the opportunity, would love to whack the whole UX team, but we're always doing things to convince them. They end up being your biggest fan, so to speak. Yeah. And because we recognize them, because we find out what makes them tick, because we can, we build partnerships. And so, you know, if you're just dying, just, just sitting there, just in, so embedded in the work that you can't see anything else, you're going to end up getting blindsided. And that's oh. like talking about everything. 100 uh, percent. There's so much to what you just said, Darren. I think that as UX practitioners ourselves, and you don't always have to be a researcher for this is. Uh, and you know how misused the whole idea of empathy is, right? But even at the core of it, it is, it is such a bad, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's almost a cuss word now in UX. Uh, it's been so misused. It's been so misused, but really if at the core that you think, uh, you know, the foundation of UX, if this is empathy, uh, you really need to think about uh, you know, whom you're communicating with, right? Who's your audience? Uh, and I think that is like our, our superpower, right? We understand that. Yes. Uh, and we can communicate with that, even if they may have, uh, a different idea about something or, or they may not even understand UX. Um, uh, I, I think that each of us have that responsibility. Uh, to exercise this so-called empathy that we always talk about, but then really <laughs> at the core level, we never, ever do it with the people that surround us uh, in our day-to-day lives, right? Our coworkers, our peers, um, you know, whether those are people you're talking with in engineering or product management or otherwise, whether it's leadership or subordinates. I think that if we really kind of stay, to, uh, you know, at the core uh, you'd really understand what that empathy really means. Yeah. I'm actually, that's another topic I'm going to tackle soon. I, I think that it, it's become very genericized. Oh, yeah. It's. I think there's some truth to it to an extent. 
but because people have over genericized it. Now you have people wait who wage war against the term. Yeah. And but I love how I think it was Adele Lynn in her book on on EQ. She mentioned that she mentioned empathy in a way that other people hadn't. And and the way and, and it really caught my ear. So she's my favorite EQ author because of the way that she approached some of the more stereotypical aspects, uh, the, the common things that people normally hear about it, about EQ. But she mentioned that the way she talked about empathy, she was talked about not being in somebody else's shoes, which is like eight times if we were doing a family feud, that, that'd be right. a answer. Yeah. But she talked about understanding things from, from the perspectives of others. I think that if we throw the word empathy out and just even just talk about it from that angle, I think it brings a lot of value. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing that I try to remind people about when, when I hear empathy coming up, up. And it's a powerful thing if you do it right. Oh, absolutely. And 100% that empathy is not about being in other people's shoes. If anybody tries to tell you that, I'm going to say this as someone <laughs> who's practiced UX for two decades now, that that is not true. Do not accept that as the truth. Emp uh, empathy or is uh, or you know from a ux standpoint is firmly about staying in your shoes really uh if you end up being in someone else's shoes what you know what is the value that you're going to bring in uh as a designer as a researcher as a practitioner right so you have to have your own identity firmly in place but really then understand the problem that this other human is facing that now you can use your craft and your skills uh, to be able to uh, help with yes. really is, is what it is. So and I love that because it, it brings out the, the scientific aspect of it, which yeah. with the, the overgeneralization and the generis is making it more generic. Can I say that other word <laughs> all of a sudden? Uh, it, 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 they're, they're diametrically opposed. If, if we're scientific about it, it's going to take some time to understand. And, and, and there's some other ways to express it. I, I mean, in some cases, I would just talk to people about mental models. Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing, because what, what are they actually trying to do? What are their challenges? Yep. What are their pain points? We use all of this language. I don't even have to use the word empathy, but we still achieve it in its finest form. And, Again, when we do it, it's powerful. It would, and, and if we, it, it really, this made me think about something else. By when people do these design sprints, and then they bring that word in, we do it so we can empathize. You are not going to achieve yeah. what you think you're going to achieve by having a design sprint. Yeah, are the users in the design sprints with you? No, you say. Then you're not going to <laughs> you're not going to achieve the same. Oh. Thing. Totally. And don't even get me started on the, you know, the little steps of UX and then you see the empathize and the d yeah. uh, discover, design, define, whatever. That just, you know, I, I get besides myself. I get way too excited. I get way too passionate because it just feels like, oh, you know what? You do empathy as a step. And then I always ask people, especially in interviews too, as a hiring manager that, so um, help me understand, do you only empathize in like part one and then the rest of it? Right. <laughs> How does that work, right? Like, so don't, you know, like, don't even start with the whole like, oh, empathize first. Uh, 
well, what does that mean? That doesn't even mean anything. Yeah, that's weird. Weird stuff. But no. let, let's go on to another question. I, lo- I love the discussion. We, we know this is going to happen anyway. Yeah. How did you get in? The, well, you, you well, you didn't mention how you got in the UX. So we don't. So I'm going to mark that and remove that part. But let's move on to another one. You, you told me how you got started. Uh, fantastic story. Fantastic backstory on that one. Over the course of your 20 years, what do you think? What stands out to you? And be, having been your biggest success, your your fondest memory about your time in UX thus far. Oh, <laughs> uh, I I I think I've been exceptionally um, fortunate in having a lot of great memories to go, uh, even as an individual contributor, just learning things on the job, doing a lot of things uh, that weren't right. <laughs> you know, uh, now that I kind of see things, I made lots of mistakes, but uh, I definitely seem to have learned from them because I've been pretty successful in my career. I think for me, the most pivotal point was when I didn't even realize this, it was leaders and my peers uh, around me at Reynolds and Reynolds who actually uh, understood that and said, uh, I think it's time for you to move into a leadership role. And, and I was like, oh, I really never thought about that. I still like designing. Uh, I, I don't know how many of us go through this, but we still feel like we need to hold on to like some designing because it's, so, it's such a big, you know, it's a core part of what we do. Yeah. Uh, but I think that was pivotal. And for me, uh, that was challenging for a while, uh, you know, being able to delegate something, that responsibility of, you know, uh, finding someone else uh, to work and to design and then your coaching uh was challenging at first because you always want to like hold on to that i don't know what it is i I, it's not so much about control as it is about uh just wanting to you know still be a part of that action i believe uh but for me uh over time it was in incredibly liberating uh to not be designing anymore and to find trusted allies mm. and people in my team and i realized this uh you know back uh, back then and i think that was sort of that pivotal point uh that sort of began my success into leadership was uh letting go of uh you know of that feeling actually hiring people who did designing far better than i did like oh yes. i would never have done that <laughs> Uh, that's great. And and the time I found that I appreciated that was but I felt like, ooh, I feel like a growth moment in my life, you know, like uh when when you know that it's okay, you you don't have to uh be the best designer in the room, but you do know how to bring the best designers in that room, yeah. uh, you know, for your organization. So I really I think that was uh, what was fantastic. Uh, what was also interesting for me at that point was that back in 2014, uh, I was already Reynolds and Reynolds. Um, a lot of my uh, leadership was behind me, uh, director role. And then my husband had an opportunity to move to the West Coast. And I've always wanted to move to the West Coast. <laughs> uh, when you're in the Midwest, uh, you know, you think about things like, oh, sun and not <laughs> having a lot of snow. And so, uh, I I actually quit uh, a job that I loved, you know, kind of mid-career, if you will, moved uh, 
to Portland, Oregon with no plans of, you know, what would I do other than this confidence that uh, I would have an opportunity that I would be looking for. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't too concerned. My, my husband had asked me that, is this the right decision uh, we're making? Because he's like, uh, we don't have to do this. And I said, well, I want to do this. And uh, so it was great. I, I had an opportunity at that time to uh, work with a design agency. I love design agencies. I did find out that that is not the environment for me. Um, I felt that I I was I felt more fulfilled uh, when I was part of an organization that just didn't do product ideation, but also did the product execution, delivery, and everything. So I felt I was greedy. I was wanting to do everything. <laughs> um, you know, 2015, I'm at Thomson Reuters, which is big organization, tax and accounting, a particularly complex. Uh, ecosystem that really needed uh, UX. So, so that was sort of uh, my pivotal journey, if you will. Okay, let's flip the coin now. What was your? What do you feel was your biggest challenge oh. in your career? Uh, championing UX, I think, and and I hate the word championing. It feels like. Uh, you know, you're the underdog and we're not the underdog. We are co-dogs. <laughs> I don't know how to call this, you know, without like, pressing a bunch on this, but uh, we are equal partners in any organization. And I think that by far is the most challenging. Um, it is when you might be a mid-level, director-level uh, you know, UX leader, but you might not have C-level uh, support. You know, that that tends to fail. Uh, you might be at this, but then you don't have the right team or the right mid, uh, you know, mid-management organization, then it's going to fail. So I think really for me, um, you know, that has been the challenge is how do I get that that right mix where there is enough support uh, from C-level executives to be able to bring UX to the forefront along with product and engineering and really be able to practice that so that we can make the difference that we know how to. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so that, those are all our preliminary questions. Now we get into the fun part. <laughs> I was getting to the fun bar. Not that we weren't having fun before, but this is going to be all over the place. We have four topics that we want to dive into in our in our remaining time. And when we were going through what, what I call the warm up part, about the the pre recording, uh, you were telling some fantastic stories about things that you were doing with mentoring. I'm like, people would love to hear Manisha talk about this. So let's yeah. talk about some of the things that you, I, I have, I literally typed it out, your mentoring journeys. So yeah. tell tell the audience different things that you've been doing from a mentoring standpoint, anything related to UX mentoring. I, I just have so much, yeah. so many great things to say about this. So go ahead and just run with it. Absolutely. Uh, and, and stop me because I can go on talking about mentoring <laughs> for hours, I think. Uh, mentoring is 
is has been such an essential part of my success that I want everybody who is passionate about anything that they do or do in their life. It doesn't just have to be on a professional front. Uh, you need a mentor. I need a mentor. Uh, and I'm always seeking one. Uh, I feel that it brings out the best in me and I'm constantly learning from it. So mentoring holds a special place in my heart. And uh, especially in 2020, when, you know, a bunch of us were at home and there were so many different dynamics that were happening that I truly sat and thought about that I need to do something about this. And how do I give that back to uh, students of design or people who want to come into design and how do I give some of that, you know, what I have back, you know, the knowledge, the evidence of why this is successful. So I tried various ways of doing that, whether those are attending meetups, putting out stuff on LinkedIn, uh, you know, reaching out to people who reached out to me. Uh, I do that a whole lot. I've used platforms like ADP. Uh, the best that I found for myself uh, was that I can really do justice to mentoring was when I had a selected group, not a, not a big group, but a selected group of individuals that I see over a course of time. And that is an extended time. It's It can be months. It can even be years where, you know, depending on what they want to be mentored on, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring uh, currently a student of design. Uh, so we started this as a summer mentorship, but we've decided mutually that we love this and uh, we will continue doing that as I help this student through her design journey as well. So to me, it really felt that I needed to be a mentor for an extended period of time. This is really how uh, it it's not like a disservice uh, to to the mentees. To me, the the ADP, I I am not opposed against that. I I do believe that they do come from a good place, but somehow there are some aspects of the ADP platform that concern me. One was that there are so many of those out there. They only have uh, this limited amount of time or access to a particular mentor, you don't really get an opportunity uh, to form a relationship. And it doesn't seem to be like that wasn't sustainable, at least on that platform. A lot of the people who connected with me then, you know, actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. We found that uh, much more sustainable, uh, you know, to be able to uh, then you know, continue with those relationships and then really uh, connect. And so that has been my journey. I love that. It, there's something so rewarding about helping shame, shape someone's uh, evolution into design. Yes. Yes. I, I, I love the fact that you use the word evolution because every individual we all have had yeah. And we all evolve and then you evolve and then you go into a standard growth pattern. Yeah. And, and we never ever, I mean, we're like trees. Yeah. Trees never stop growing. We never stop. The roots never stop going down and the branches never stop reaching up. And and then we go through our seasons. Yeah. So always some, some transition that we go through. And, and so, yeah, that's a fantastic word to use. 
that, that brings those images to mind as well. So love that. Love that. Hi, everybody. Uh, due to some technical difficulties, we ended up having to cut the first session short. So we're going to share this episode in two different sessions. The second part has been recorded. It's going to be all set next week, but we're going to cut it short here on today. So we hope you enjoyed hearing the things that Manisha and I were talking about and the insights that she shared with the community. She's very insightful, very smart, very sharp. I love talking to Manisha, but we will share the second part of this set next week. So thanks for your patience. Thanks for taking the time to join us and taking in today's podcast. And now it is time to sign off. So until next time, this is Darren Hood, the host of The World of UX, wishing everyone the absolute best. And until next time, happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.